Uh, my name is Sean. I'm the pastor here at Grace Church, and uh, we're really, really glad that you guys are here. Um, um, today is a uh, milestone in our church, and I'll get to that in a few minutes, but milestones have always been a really big deal uh, in our culture. We celebrate uh, birthdays. We celebrate, uh, depending on what culture you're from, quinceañeras. We, we celebrate uh, sweet 16s. We celebrate uh, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs. I've been to seven of those, which might surprise you, but I've been to seven bar mitzvahs. Those are awesome. Um, I'm, I'm you, anyway, um, it's a lot of fun, uh, but we, we celebrate milestones. I remember the first birthday party, um, that the, the first birthday party I remember was my seven year old birthday and, uh, it was at Burger King and I remember it because I wore the crown for like the next two or three days. Uh, anybody ever have a birthday party at, at Burger King when you're a kid? Um, anybody ever wear the crown as an adult? All right, just check. You got to wear that crown once. Come on, that's cool. That's like the next, next to the flame broiled burgers. That's that's the best thing about Burger King. Their their fries stink, but the crowns and the burgers are great. Um, uh, I, I remember I remember going to kindergarten for the first time and standing in line next to third graders, thinking, "Wow, I'm never going to be that. It's going to take me forever to be as big as them." And then I remember being a third grader, you know, thinking that it wasn't that big of a deal. And I'll never be a sixth grader. And then being a sixth grader and thinking, "Man, I can't wait to be right." It goes like that, and I. 12 was a big birthday for me because I, I didn't feel like I was a kid anymore at 12. I was like a young man, right? And then uh, 13 was big. Um, my 16th birthday party was a surprise birthday party. So that was awesome. I remember my 16th birthday. Um, I, remember, I remember my first kiss. You remember your first kiss too, probably? If you've had a kiss yet, um, I remember the first time I held hands. Uh, remember the pinky pinky move? Anybody ever do the pinky pinky move? I was at uh, my youth pastor's house. It was a youth activity. We're watching a movie on, on uh, Beta. Uh, that was way back in the day. It was the wars between Beta and VHS, right? And like, people didn't know which one to use. So, like, uh, so people would have both of them. Or you could have a deck that did Beta and VHS. Uh, so my youth pastor had, had beta, and I can't even remember what movie we were watching, maybe Harry and the Hendersons, that's about that right time period, right? Uh, story about Bigfoot, that was a great movie, by the way, rented it at some point, but I'm sitting next to this girl, don't even remember her name, uh, but I remember I kind of liked her, and I kind of got the feeling she kind of liked me too, and we're sitting next together, next to each other at, at the youth pastor's house on the couch, and like our knees bumped, and like when our knees touched, she left her knee touching my knee. <laughs> And my hand was on my leg anyway, so like, you know, I'm talking, it was like, it was this knee touching her left knee, and like, once our knees touched, they never stopped touching again, and my hand just happened to be on my leg, so my hand froze. So like, I'm like, doing everything in the world with this hand, but this hand ain't moving, because it's close to her hand on her knee, right? And then like, the movie keeps going, and then our pinkies touch. Oh! Right? And then like, I crossed my pinky over her pinky. And she didn't move her hand. Listen, the pinky pinky move is legit. That works. So like I moved my pinky across her pinky. She didn't pull her hand back. And then, by the way, once you get the pinky pinky move down, then you can just go for the hand. I just went for the hand and wow, that was awesome. Like I still remember that, right? Then you remember, uh, like I remember asking Billy Jane. I remember the first time I saw Billy Jane at college. I do. Uh, I remember, um, of course, remember asking her to marry me. Uh, lots, lots of other significant dates. We, rem we remember big days, and they're a big deal. Uh, they've always, throughout human history, uh, we've always celebrated milestones in people's lives. Um, even in, in going all the way back to the garden, into that, that, that first generation of people creating the image of God. 
um, there were milestones and there were, there were things, monuments that they would erect whenever God had done something significant in their life. When, when God calls Abraham, he set up a pile of rocks so that anytime he traveled that way in the world again and he saw that and his kid asked who put that there, it was a reminder to him to tell his son uh, Isaac and then uh, about, about God and what God had done in his life and that significant point in, in his life. And then uh, Isaac grows up and does the same thing. And then Jacob does the same thing. And then the children of Israel, when they, they leave Egypt and God parts the Jordan River for them, they go across the Jordan River and they all grab rocks and bring them back to the middle of the Jordan River. And they set up a monument in the middle of, of the dry ground in the middle of the Jordan River um, as, as a monument to what God had done. And these monuments are, these, these reminders of important events in our lives are important to us. And they've, they've always been important to mankind and, and still so. And, and today is one of those monumental times in our, our church's uh, history. Um, uh, because today uh, we, we celebrate the birth of our third ba baby church. Uh, and, and I'm going to get into that a little bit more in a few minutes. But I, I want to show you why this is an important uh, day in the life of our church. And how this connects to what God is, is, is doing in history. So if you've got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 4. And this is at the very beginning of when Jesus gets busy uh, in, in, in the world now. Uh, uh, Jesus showing up was not a surprise uh, to the Jewish people. Uh, who he was may have been a surprise to some, but the Jews had always been looking for uh, the Messiah to show up. Uh, but this goes back even before the Jews as a, as a nation even existed. Because in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that when mankind chose to rebel against the authority of God and that brought death and separation from God, uh, that, that God mentioned that someday uh, he would show up in human history and fix what we had broken. Uh, see, God didn't create the world as we find it now. Um, it's, it's broken. Um, mankind has, has done a great job screwing things up. Uh, and and we, we're the ones who are responsible for death and, and dysfunction and abuse and murder. These things weren't God's idea. They, they, were, they were ours. Um, some people say, then why, if God knew we were going to go this direction, then why did, why did, why did God create us? And, and I would say to you as a parent, if you knew your kids were going to be bad, then why did you go ahead and give birth? Because you had love to give and you wanted somebody to receive it, right? Uh, but God, being a God of love, gave us the option not to love them back. And I would say that that's the only thing that makes love possible. If I took away Billy Jane's right to choose not to date me, like if I forced her to go out with me, then can I honestly say I love her more than me, yes or no? If I force her to date me, who do I love most? Me. The way that you know I genuinely love her is that I allow her the freedom not to love me back. Does that make, make sense? So free will is necessary for love to exist. But when free will exists, that means that, uh, well... Pain. So God gives us the option to walk away from him. And when we walk away from the creator of life, the only alternative is death. God wasn't being a jerk. It's just when you turn off the lights, the only thing that's left is dark. Does that make sense? So when we walked away from the creator of life, we find death. God rescues us. So he says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Someday a child will be born to a woman, not to a man, but to a woman only. The seed of the woman would crush the authority of Satan. And the rest of the Hebrew scriptures give indications as to who this person would be that would show up to crush the authority of Satan and, and to fix what we had broken in, in the world. 
Uh, different Hebrew prophets had said that when the Messiah shows up, and by the way, God calls Abraham, and even at the beginning, he tells Abraham, through you, all of the nations will be blessed. So God's plan all along has been, like we sang in the first song today, God's plan all along is to give every people group an opportunity to know and to follow him. That's always been the plan. Since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God's mission has been a rescue mission. Does that make sense? All right. So then you get to, to, to Matthew chapter 4, which is where we're at now. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he keeps the mission going. And I want you to see that in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, it says in, in verse 18, uh, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Uh, so they were fishermen. So when Jesus calls these guys to begin following him, he starts talking to them in terms they understand. And to people who were farmers, he talked in terms of casting seed and, and, then, and then bearing fruit. He talked in terms that people understood. This, this makes sense to me, and I'm, I'm glad that he did that. But this is what he said to them in verse 19. Jesus called out to them and he said, Come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. The point I'm trying to make and what I want to show you from this passage of Scripture is that from the very first people who began following Jesus, Jesus told them, if you follow me, I want you to know that the goal is for you to help others follow me. The goal has never been to rescue one group of people. It's never been to rescue just the Jews. It's never been to rescue just those who were raised in Christian cultures. The goal has always been to rescue anybody that would turn from their sin and begin following Jesus. That's always been the plan. The plan's always been to rescue as many people possible. So when he comes to somebody and he rescues them, the goal is, he says to them up front, follow me because I need you to help me get other people to follow me also. That's always been the goal. And, and truthfully, this is one of the first responses to, for somebody who begins following Jesus for the first time. If you, if you remember uh, when you first became serious about following Jesus, you look back to your all-in moment. Now, a lot of us can't remember a time when we didn't believe in Jesus, right? But there came a specific time where uh, you chose uh, on your own whether or not you personally were going to be serious about following Jesus. And some of us aren't, aren't there yet. You're not sure what to believe about Jesus or you believe in Jesus, but uh, he's kind of like this add-on thing to your life. You haven't made Jesus the center yet. But when somebody comes to that all-in moment where they say, Jesus, I'll transfer my trust off of my ability to be good enough onto the fact that only you were, and I'm asking you to forgive me, to rescue me from my own sin and help me to follow you with the rest of my life. In that moment, something happens. A transformation happens on the inside, and, and we begin looking at the world differently, and it's not all about what we get out of it anymore. Now it's about what we can add to it now for the glory of God and for the good of other people. Uh, I've seen this happen lots of times. Uh, there's a 20-year-old guy who owned his own business here in Stoughton. We're hanging out at uh, Beantown Diner on Washington Street uh, next to the bank. And um, um, we're, we're having this conversation about what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus. And raised Catholic, so he's always believed in God, but uh, always been worried about trying to be good enough. And then he recognized that, that he's never going to be good enough to become innocent. So when we stand before God on Judgment Day and he says innocent or guilty of sin, he knew he would have to say guilty. He knew that he finally the, the light clicked on and he, he got, this is why Jesus showed up. I, I, he's the only one who was good enough and he offers to trade places with me. I get that. And so right there in Beantown, he bowed his head and he asked Jesus to take away all of his sin. And by the way, sin is disobedience to God and selfishness towards our fellow man. He said, God, forgive me for all of my disobedience to you and my selfishness towards other people. And help me to follow you with the rest of my life. He gets done praying. He looks up and he goes, wow. 
You know what his first thought was? Not that I should go to church now from now on. His first thought wasn't any of those things. You know what his first thought was? Everybody needs to know about this. I'm like, you're right, bro. And I remember in third grade when I committed to faith in Jesus. And then right after third grade, we, we moved to Daytona Beach. And we had a big tree in our front yard, and I built a tree house. And I'm using that word liberally. It was actually three pieces of wood that weren't even even. We just had two branches of a tree that went this way, and my dad gave me a box of nails and a hammer. So I went to work on that, man. I made a platform way too high for a nine-year-old to be on his own. And my neighbor kid across the street came over, and I remember trying to preach to him as a nine-year-old. <laughs> I remember when Garrett was about eight or nine, and, and uh, the Middletons moved in across the street. Uh, Calvin and Marcus were in our backyard playing on the trampoline and Garrett comes running into the house. Garrett, mom, 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 dad, guess what? I just saved Marcus and Calvin. We're like, you did what? <laughs> he told us that we're like, no, none of our neighbors are going to want to talk to us. They're all going to think we're really... My point is, is that when somebody begins following Jesus, one of the first things they become passionate about is helping other people follow Jesus. Always has been. That's been the plan all along. That's Matthew chapter 4. Jesus in his last prayer in John chapter 17, I want you to see this. This is the last prayer that Jesus prays before he's crucified. He's already had uh, the last supper. Uh, he's already had Passover. He's about to be betrayed by Judas with a kiss. You two sings about that, right? So we, we're familiar with that term. You've heard of the phrase Judas kiss. That, that happens uh, in just a few minutes. And right before that happens, Jesus is praying. And he knows that he's about to be crucified, that he's about to die and be buried. But he also knows he'll raise from the dead in three days, but he'll only be around for a little more than a month afterwards. And then the disciples are going to be completely on their own. And he begins praying for all of those who are his followers. And that prayer is in John chapter 17, the first part of the chapter. But what I want you to see is I want you to see uh, what he says in verse, in verse 20 of that prayer. He says, I am praying not only for those disciples, but also for all who will ever, who's ever going to believe in me through their message. Who's that? Who was Jesus praying for? Us. Everybody else who would ever live who would begin believing in Jesus because of what the disciples had seen. So Jesus, in the last prayer he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed for Sean. Prayed for, insert your name here. Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. So the whole point was so that the whole rest of the world would believe in Jesus. Keep reading verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Remember, so that the whole world would believe in him. But verse 23, he says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that who will know? That the whole world, listen, the whole point in God rescuing anybody was so that everybody would get one chance to know and to follow Jesus. That's been the goal all along. It was the goal at the beginning. It was the last thing that he prayed. And it's the last thing that he said to the disciples at the end of those 40 days before he ascended into heaven when he, about to, when he was about to leave them all on their own. And I want you to see that. And that's in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28... We have the first part of his last conversation with them. And then in Acts chapter 1, we have the second part of his last conversation with them. And in Matthew chapter 28, his last conversation with the disciples before he leaves them permanently was this. Uh, Jesus said in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Therefore, since I'm in charge of everything, here's what I want you to do. He doesn't say go to church. He doesn't say be religious. Here's what he says to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. A disciple is a follower. Go make disciples of how many nations? Was it just for the Jews? No, even with the disciples, he said, listen, the point of all of this, when he told Abraham, when he called Abraham out from Macedonia, what he had said was, is, listen, I need a group of people through whom I can show myself to the rest of the world. If you'll follow me, Abraham, then it'll be through your kids and your descendants, I'll show the rest of the world who I am. And then he says to the disciples again, listen, the point all along since the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 is so that everybody would get one chance to know and to find me. That's been the point all along. So now that I have authority, I've risen from the dead, I've I've, the baby who was born to the woman did crush Satan's authority. Jesus now says, I have the authority now. So here's what I want you to do. Go make disciples of all people groups everywhere. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this, that I am with you always even to the end of the age. And in Acts chapter 1, here's the second part of that conversation. They had said after that, they had said, so you said you're coming back. When are you coming back? Jesus said in verse 7, the Father alone has the authority to set the dates and the times. And they are not for you to know. It's none of your business when I'm coming back. Verse 8, here's your business. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the evidence that somebody has God's Spirit with them, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The evidence of somebody having God's Spirit in them is not that they show up at church because lots of people show up at church that really don't know anything about God. We know this. You and I all know tons of religious people who are nothing like God. We've been using them as an excuse to keep our distance from them way too long. Right? The evidence that somebody really has the Spirit of God is that their relationship with God is infectious. They're contagious. It's a part of who they are, genuinely. And I'm not talking about bumper stickers, Christian t-shirts. I'm talking about the way they live, love, give, and serve. They live, love, gave, and serve the way Jesus lived, love, gave, and served. They talk like he talked. They love like he loved. They give like he gave. That's what it means. So, so when God's Spirit comes into your life, when you turn from sin, when you genuinely have your all-in moment with God, I want you to know that you will have the power not to be a better person than other people, but the power that I'm giving you is so that you will be a witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then the next seven chapters, all they do is stay in Jerusalem. Their faith became something that was private. It was about them becoming comfortable. They, stayed in, they didn't go to Judea. They didn't go to Samaria. They didn't go to the ends of the earth because those places weren't comfortable. They stayed in the nest, which is a tendency of many churches. A lot of Christians think that the purpose of the church is to provide religious goods and services for Christians. But the church is Christians. We're not for Christians. We are Christians. And we've never been called to be about ourselves. All along the goal for everybody who's ever been a follower of God is other people who are not followers of God getting one opportunity to know and follow them themselves. That's always been the goal of being a follower of Jesus. 
God's goal is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy so that you will be a better testimony of the greatness of Jesus in your life to those who don't know Him. That's always been the goal of you being rescued from God, from your sins by God. It's not just to take you to heaven. It's to change you, to make you a better representation of who He is so that others will get an opportunity to be in heaven. It's always been the goal. The goal isn't health and wealth. God's not trying to make you fat and comfortable. He's trying to make your life meaningful. He's trying to make your life count. And it counts best when it's most influential with those who don't know him. So then in Acts chapter 7, God does something to kick them out of the nest. In Acts chapter 7, the first person is killed for being a Christian. His name was Stephen. He was given an opportunity to recant. He wouldn't do it. They said, you're going to die. And he said, I don't care. I'm not going to say this didn't happen when I know it did. So they murdered him. The guy in charge of murdering him was a guy named Saul. And he's put to death by stoning. They threw rocks at him until he died. That's a painful way to go out. And it's not quick. Can you imagine getting hit with rocks enough that you die? It's just like getting beat to death, but with rocks instead of boots and fists. Okay? It's a rough way to go out. In chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Stephen was the name of the first guy who was killed for being a follower of Jesus. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, which is where God told them to go in the first place, and they wouldn't do it. So he puts thorns in the nest. Like a mama bird, puts sticks and rocks and stuff in the nest to make the baby bird uncomfortable so that the baby bird leaves the nest. God, bring, God allows persecution in the church to get them to go do what he said they should be doing all along. They thought it was about staying in Jerusalem and building their own church. And it's never been about building their own church. It's about giving more people an opportunity to come to faith in Jesus. So the mission has never changed. The goal of Grace Church is not to put more butts in the seats. The goal of Grace Church is to give more of our friends, neighbors, and family one opportunity to know and follow Jesus. So just like them, we should be willing to give whatever it takes, to do whatever it takes, and go wherever we have to go to make sure that everybody gets one opportunity to know and to follow Jesus. I think it's awesome that we're where we're at. Grace Church is in Avon, which is in the middle of Norfolk County. Where only 2.4% of the population claim to affiliate with a gospel-centered church, which means that 97.6% of everybody that lives with around us, 97.6% of my friends are disconnected from faith in Jesus. It's not that they don't believe in Jesus. They're just trusting in the church to save them. They're trusting in their baptism to save them, their confirmation to save them, their church attendance to save them from sin, to rescue them. Their trust is in their ability to be good. It's just not in Jesus. They've never transferred their trust off of their own goodness and onto his. That's it. So they're not bad people. My friends aren't bad. They wouldn't be my friends if they were bad people. You know what I'm saying? Like they're good and decent people. They're just disconnected from God because they're not innocent people. None of us are innocent. We all need Jesus. So we're in one of the most spiritually disconnected communities in the state. Speaking of that, all six states of New England are in the top 10 most least religious states in the country. Why do you think God has blessed Grace Church? 
so that we could get fat and comfortable? So that we could pay our own electric bills and hire staff? What are our offerings for? More air conditioning? More programs for us? Listen, if God blesses us, it's only so that we are a blessing to others. We're here not to put more butts in the seat, but to give more of our friends an opportunity to know and follow Jesus. That's been the goal since Genesis chapter 3, and it hasn't stopped. And what I know is this. People who are not devoted followers of Jesus will not drive more than 10 minutes away. They just won't. We have this parish mentality where you go to church in the town that you live, and if you don't like your priest, you just stop going. You don't even think about going to the next town over. You just wait until that dude dies, retires, or gets transferred. Right? Isn't that the way that it is? We might drive one town over, but nobody drives two towns over. Now, those who are devoted followers of Jesus, I, mean, I used to drive 50 minutes each way to go to church. Because for my family... 50 minutes away was where I could find the closest church that was life-giving and focused on the gospel. The good news that Jesus rescues. So Christians, devoted followers of Jesus, will drive forever. But our neighbors won't. I remember inviting my neighbors to church where we went. They said, why do you go to church all the way over there? There's a Protestant church here in town. What I didn't want to say is that Protestant church doesn't give the gospel. I didn't want to trash any other churches. You know what I'm saying? So anytime we find a group of people that live, a group of Christians who live more than two towns away, we want to begin getting ready to start a church there. So at year three, when Grace Church was only 85 people big, we had 15 people that were coming from Quincy. And their friends weren't coming with them all the way over to Stoughton for church because we used to be on Page Street in Stoughton. They're like, that's too far. So we spun them off. When our church was only 85, I had pastors tell us, Dude, you can't even, 85 people, you can't even pay for your own bills yet. Why would you send 15 people off to go start another church? You need to hang on to those people so that you can keep those offerings so that you can pay your own bills. They said, we were a moron. I said, dude, you're a moron because the goal has never been to pay freaking bills. The goal has always been to give everybody an opportunity to know and to follow Jesus. And their friends in Quincy won't drive to Stoughton. So if they're willing to spin off and start their own church, we're going to help them. And so we used our offerings when we couldn't even pay our own bills to help them pay theirs. And guess what? We doubled in the next year because God blessed. You know why? Because we showed God that we could be trusted with 85. So he knew we could be trusted with 150. Are you with me? See, we're like this, not just as a church, but we're like this as individuals. When I get this much money, then I'll be generous. Or when I get to this place, then I will. No, you won't. Because if you're not going to be faithful to God with your life right now as it is, you won't be faithful to God if it's any different. So Grace Church has always tried to be faithful to God in the mission that he's put us on, which has never been to pay our bills. It's always been to give as many people an opportunity to know and to follow Jesus as possible. So then three years after that, we had a group of people that were coming, about 25 people from Grace Church that were, that were living on the other side of Brockton in the Rockland area. They wanted to start their own church. We found a pastor for them, and they spun off and started their own church. And now we have another opportunity. We have a group of people that live in, we have about 50, 60 people from Grace Church that live in Dedham. And people from Dedham, they're on the inside of the 128 loop, are going, to, oh my word, it's all the way down in Avon. Oh, oh you mean 15 minutes away? They don't think 15 minutes away. They're thinking, oh, I got to get on the highway, two highways. I got to go 93, 95, then 93, then 24, three highways, and then an exit. 
And then like an industrial park, oh my gosh, it's so far away. So if we want to make a difference in the town of Dedham, guess what we got to do? Start a church there. See, every church that's ever existed was started by, well, I don't want to say that. People are responsible to reproduce people and churches reproduce churches. When somebody starts a church and it wasn't started by another church, that's where cults come from. Are you with me? This happened even in the Bible because when Paul, the guy who killed Stephen, Saul, this is what I love about God. God goes out and rescues from sin the man who killed the very first person who ever died for being a follower of Jesus. You know why? Because if God was showing that if I can forgive that guy all of his crap, then how much of yours am I willing to forgive? God goes out and saves the worst person who ever lived. The very first person who ever killed Christians rescues him from sin just to show you that he can rescue you from yours too. That's awesome because God's always been about rescuing people and that's never changed. And so when that guy gets rescued from sin and becomes passionate about following Jesus, here's what happens in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas and Simeon. Now listen, uh, Jerusalem, remember, they had started spreading to Ju Judea and Samaria. And, and Antioch was a large Jewish community in that town. So they're looking for safe places to go. And so actually one of the largest churches in the first century wasn't the church in Jerusalem. The church in Antioch actually even got bigger than that one. And they just radically devoted followers of Jesus. And in and, and, and this group of leaders in that church, you won't find the apostles because the apostles were still down in the church of Jerusalem. Uh, but in the, uh, the leaders of the church of Antioch, here's their names. Uh, Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man. Lucius from Cyrene. Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. And Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. And the rest of the entire book of Acts and even the rest of the Bible is the story of how Saul and Barnabas, and then Barnabas and John Mark, and then Saul, who becomes Paul, and Silas go throughout the rest of the Roman Empire, gathering these followers of Jesus who've been scattered throughout the Roman Empire together into community groups of people. And you can read the rest of the Bible that they were drawn together to live as an expression of God's love, not just to God's people, but to those God was wanting to rescue. In fact, it was said in less than 30 years by Caesar himself about these followers of Christos, that they took care of the poor, the sick, and the widows, not just of their own sect, but of the Romans who persecute them also. That was what impressed Caesar most. Not that they took care of their own. They took care of those who weren't their own. Why did they do that? Because they understood the mission that God's called every single one of us to. It's not for our own glory and our own good. It's for God's glory and the good of our neighbors. The mission of your life is not to make a buttload of money. It's to make a difference. When you die, you won't give a rat's butt how much money you made. All you care about is how many of your friends and family can spend eternity with you. And if you are wise then you will make adjustments in the way you live your life now in light of that. 
So they called these two guys up. They laid their hands on them and they sent them out to start churches. And they did a stinking good job. And those churches called out men. They laid hands on them who went out and started other churches. All the way until 2,000 years later, Cape Cod Church in East Falmouth called me up, laid hands on me to send me to Stoughton to start Grace Church, which is now in Avon. And today we get the privilege of passing on to others what's been passed on to us. So I'm going to ask the pastors of Encounter Church in Dedham, if they would, please to come up to the stage. And I'm going to ask the pastors from our church, uh, Pastor Ken, Taylor, and Brian, and anybody else. Listen, last night we had the bulk of that group from, from Encounter Church up on stage uh, to pray over them. Uh, don't know. Listen, if, you, if, you're, if, you live, uh, listen if, if you're part of the Encounter Church that's going to be starting in Dedham, most of them were here last night. But if you weren't able to make it last night and you're in this service, please come on up to the stage also. I'm going to have you say your name, and I'm going to, while we're praying for the pastors, I want each of you guys, uh, when they say their name, uh, you pick one of those names that stand out in your mind, and I want you to pray for, while I'm praying for the pastor, uh, I want you to pray uh, for the, the, the leaders, the future leaders in, in their church who are going to be uh, with them. If you guys would come up front, and you'll recognize these people because they're a part of our church family. Just like Saul and Barnabas were a part of the church family in Antioch. Listen, it's a good thing for churches to split. As long as they're splitting for the right reasons. As long as they're multiplying who they are and what God's called them to do. So these people live closer to Dedham than they live to Avon. So why should they keep coming all the way to Avon to make a difference for the glory of God and the good of others? We're going to start a church there. Now, just like, another, just like a mom who has a baby, the mom takes care of the baby. The baby can't take care of themselves. And when Grace Church was a baby church, the church in Falmouth took care of us and, and a, a, a bunch of other churches. So we, we are one of about how many churches? 15 churches? So there are 15 churches that are together, partnering together to help this baby church get born. Well, today's like their birthday. So they're being born today. And there's us and, and 14 other churches who are going to help them along the way until their church is able to stand on their own two feet, not so that they can get fat, but that, so they can do what? Give more people an opportunity to know and to follow Jesus. So me and Pastor Chris have been talking over the past year, and then when this church gets going, we're going to partner with them, and we're going to keep, now we're going to start tag-teaming all of these baby churches. Because here's the deal. Walpole has one gospel-centered church in it that speaks Spanish only. Are the English speakers in that community going to be reached with a gospel by a Spanish-speaking church? Mansfield, I think, has one gospel-centered church. Whitman, I don't know if it has any. The other side of Rockland, other side. There's a, there's a buttload of towns 15, 20 minutes away that are underrepresented with the good news of what Jesus has done. Who do you think God is calling to do something about that? Who? Say us, please. Us. This is just one step. I want to do this every single year. If you live more than two or three towns away from, Sto from Avon right now, then guess where we need to start another church? Where you live. And guess who God's going to call to be part of that church? Now, I just made you nervous. And that's okay. So here's the one. If you guys would, say your names uh, left to right. Okay, this is Brian, uh, Ken, excuse me, Brian, excuse me, Ken, crap. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Taylor. There you go. I'm, 
Uh, yeah, those are the three pastors here at Grace Church. All right, starting with Daniel. Go, buddy. I'm Daniel. Jackie. Chris. Vinny. Jason. Rachel. Fred. Melissa. And this is some of the sharpest people in our church, which is good. We don't want to send our goobers. Yeah, you can clap for them. That's great. I'm sure we have goobers. It's not you. It's just the person next to you. They're the goobers. It's, it's. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have the, the, us four pastors are going to come stand behind uh, uh, Jason and, and Chris. And uh, you got their names, right? And if you forgot their names, that's okay. God, God remembers. You might remember the dude in the green shirt or the girl in the blue or, or, or whatever, and, and that's fine. Uh, God, God knows who they are. What I want you to do is when, when we pray, and I'm going to have Taylor pray, um, but when Taylor's praying uh, for, for, for this baby church to get started, I want you to pray for the baby church and the person that God put on your mind. Okay? Let's pray. Go ahead. Uh, Dear, dear God, we're just so thankful that uh, we're able to be a part of uh, what you're doing in Dedham and the surrounding areas. God, I'm thankful that you brought uh, Jason and Chris and their families and their friends uh, to come here and to, uh, to start this church. God, I pray that uh, over the next uh, several weeks, God, that you'll continue to call people in their community uh, to uh, be a part of their church. Uh, God, that you will uh, provide for uh, the leadership that, that they need and the volunteers that they need to continue to run um, and to, to, uh, to do uh, their ministry there in Dedham. Uh, God, I also pray that uh, you'll continue to give them influence uh, with their friends, with their neighbors, with their coworkers, uh, and, and, and with uh, leadership in Dedham to continue to make a difference and to continue to... Um, to just draw people towards you uh, through them and through their families and through their friends and through everyone on their leadership team. Uh, God, I pray that you will, uh, man, just, just I pray that you will bless their preparation uh, over this past year uh, and, and that, um, God, that you will multiply it. God, thank you for letting us be a part of it. And, and God, I pray that you'll continue to bless their lives and, the, and, their, and their new church. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys very much. Uh, now, their, their official kickoff, so uh, officially uh, today is when their church is, is kind of like uh, born, they're, they're, right? And then uh, two weeks from today is their official first service, um, and, and they'll be starting to meet uh, every week from then on. So let me say this, that if you live closer to Avon uh, than you do, excuse me, if you live closer to Dedham than you do Avon, uh, I really would like to ask you to consider leaving this church family to become a, a part of theirs and help them out. Uh, and, if, and if you haven't been to one of the four preview services already, uh, by the way, I'm excited. It took Grace Church four years to get to 100 people. Uh, they've had four practice services and have had over 120 people from the community at every single one of those already. So that, like, I'm, we're, like, I'm honestly, we're praying for 300 on their first day. That would be... That would be stinking. I mean, it took, like, seriously, it took us four years to get to 100. They're already there, and they have, like, they're just getting born now. Like, that's a really fat baby we're delivering <laughs> right here. So they get started two weeks from today, and the truth is there are 20 people short of getting everything taken care of. They really are. Uh, so if you live closer to there and you're like, I don't know if I want to commit yet because I'm not used, maybe you could just go for three months. 
Uh, you'll just volunteer to help for three months just to get them a head start getting going. I, I'm, I'm serious about this. If, even if you live around here, if you, if you want to be a part of this for just, just from now until, like, it doesn't make sense for you to be a part of that church long term because you don't live over there, uh, and that makes sense. But if you, like, for, from now until Christmas, I just want to help them get started just until they can get going enough that they can replace me. Awesome. If you'll do that, uh, come over to the Connection Center uh, after the service and get their contact information and make sure that they have a way of getting a hold of you. If they're 20 people short and we're their mama church, we got to take up. Am I right? If a diaper needs to be changed, mama changes it. Baby needs to be fed, mama feeds it. Right? And if we're going to be the mama church, if they need 20 more people, guess where those 20 more people come from? Where do they come from? They come from us. So, and they are 20 people short. Uh, we had one person talk to them last night. So we're 19 short, actually. So we need 19 more people who are willing to help them out for six months. So if that's you, uh, go let them know.